and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, and uh, a very good evening to uh, Roberto Castillo at the University of Li- Lingan University in Hong Kong, where he's pursuing his PhD. And uh, if you've been following our podcast this week, you'll know that uh, we've been talking about not China in Africa, but Africans in China. And this is the the specialty of Roberto, and he's got a fantastic blog at AfricansInChina.net.、Uh, a wonderful evening to you, Roberto. Thank you for, so much for joining us again. Good evening. It's also a pleasure for me to be here again. Well, we're going to talk today about the the daily life. You know, we've had a couple other shows on the subject of of Africans in China. We've talked about the kind of pop culture and the racism issues, and we've also talked about how big the community is. So we're going to stay away from those topics. And if you're interested in those specifics and you haven't heard those shows, I really recommend you you search on iTunes and you can find them.、Uh, today we're going to be talking about what it's like to live. Uh, in cities like Guangzhou, where the, the the largest population, the largest cluster of African immigrants are,、um, you know, the when we see the headlines come out of Guangzhou,、uh, Roberto,、uh, you know, in the Chinese press they call it Chocolatecheng, which is chocolate city,、yeah. and these are these big neighborhoods in、uh, in Guangzhou that have a, a high proportion of、uh, or high concentration of African migrants. Let's first kind of get to who. When we say Africans, who are we talking about? We've said in our past podcast that they're predominantly Nigerians. Is this a broad group of people? And when they come to a city like Guangzhou, are they united, or are there differences that are strong enough within their own community that everybody's for themselves? And they, and you know, the Ghanaians, they kind of stick to themselves, and the Ghana, the Ghana,、uh, and the. You know the, the the Ethiopians are in one corner and the Nigerians are another corner, or is there some kind of you know community that they, that pulls them together? Yeah, you know,、um, in the last few years we have seen a、um, an arrival of Africans from all parts of Africa and from all walks of life, not only traders. So.、Um, In this way, of course, when we talk about Africans in Guangzhou,、uh, not only me but a lot of other researchers and media always touch somehow on Nigerians. Not only because they seem to be,、uh, you know, to have the biggest numbers, but also because they are the best organized in the city. So,、um, having that, having said that,、um, you know, there's this kind of feeling that amongst Africans in the city that there's no, there's no. You know, it, it is not worth to just fend for, for themselves. That they have to organize. First of all, they have to organize in national communities. But then, even though they have their national communities, these, you know, it is more important. The, the, the sort of the the identity marker of being black in China overrides national identities. So many of them have started realizing that they need to sort of unite. They have to establish solidarity structures. Between different communities and work together、uh, as as different communities, sort of kind of creating, as I mentioned earlier, kind of a pan-African feeling, but but it's still contentious.、Um, Roberto, one thing that I was really surprised by、um, in 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 reading some of your work was that、um, that certain Chinese minorities, particularly the people you mentioned, are, are Uyghur,、um, that they play large roles in in You know, kind of providing certain kind of services for the African community in in Guangzhou. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that I was trying to do when I started doing this research is to try to debunk these kinds of, like, you know, labels or classifications or categories, Africans and Chinese. Who are these Africans from all these different countries? What are they doing in China? But also, who are these Chinese? What are the Chinese they're getting in touch with at the level of, of you know, at the ground level in Guangzhou? So I, when I started visiting the areas where... Um, where most Africans hang out, I started realizing that most of the Chinese involved in trading activities, in you know, in in, in catering food and in other services, were actually not people from Guangzhou. They were not Cantonese speakers, and many of them, of course, as you just mentioned, they were. They, there's a lot of Uyghurs around there, people from Xinjiang, from Turkic origin. But there's also a lot of people from um, this Chinese Muslim ethnicity, Hui. And there's a lot of people from provi- the province of Hunan, province of Hubei, uh, that sort of establish micro-industries around some of the activities that Africans um, do in, in, in the city. So, you know, there's these micro-industries working around uh, the activities that Africans that Africans do, and they are basically constituted by migrants and people that are highly mobile in Guangzhou. So once again, the words Africans and Chinese do not do either one of these groups justice. The African community is obviously far too diverse as the Chinese community is, and Chinese population is as well. Yeah, it's um, very diverse. Do do me a favor and and paint me a picture of what daily life is for the. The average African or Nigerian immigrant in, 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 in Guangzhou, where do they live? What are they eating? Where do, do they pray? Yeah. What's their work like? You know, what's, what's, a, what's a, 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 an average day if there is such a thing? Yeah, well, it pretty much depends on, on who you're talking about, you know, how long have they stayed in the city? What are their activities? But, you know, just to try to, to give you an example, um, one of my uh, Nigerian uh, contacts in the city um, there's two areas of the city where you can find a lot of Africans. One is called uh, Xiaobei, which has been identified to be, you know, sort of the chocolate city, as you mentioned. And there's this other area where you you mainly find Nigerians uh, doing trade and doing business. There is th- these two areas have very different, um, you know, there's very different activities going on in these two areas. So when talking about i'm going to talk a little bit more about what happens in the nigerian in the nigerian area of the city which is called Tanyuan Li. Uh, so you know everyday life for a nigerian there would be uh coming to their shop they have a lot of shops in two or three different mo- big malls where they sell hair clothes and cosmetics to other africans but they also sell i'm uh, sorry from there they also export uh back to nigeria so most nigerians don't live in that neighborhood so um, this Nigerian that I'm talking about, he would come away from, from their house, would come to his shop, would open his shop, would be in touch with a lot of like people coming to his place. He would be doing a lot of other business at the same time. Uh, there's many different restaurants, especially Nigerian restaurants, but there's somewhere around 50 African restaurants in, in that sort of Nigerian area, which is not entirely Nigerian, but is predominantly Nigerian. So uh, at a certain point, they would go and eat in these restaurants. Then they would come back, and around 6 to 7 in the afternoon, they would start hanging out around there um, and then stay very late into the night. Now, this part, is, as I told you before, is more uh, commercial, whereas the other part, the one that a lot of American media have been picking up as uh, China's Little Africa or the Chocolate City, it's a place where you can hang out. It's got a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars, a lot of small shops where you can buy, you know, like either souvenirs or, you know, 
cheap pieces of clothes and these kinds of things. So a lot of people go to this other section uh, to hang out around there. There's always the constant of, and this is not only for Nigerians, for most Africans in the city, there's always the constant harassment or the feeling of harassment or being harassed by police. Now, there's a big problem with, um, with the ways Chinese police function in terms of Africans in the city. You know, uh, it's, I think it's very complex, and I'm not, you know, I don't have the authority to talk about, you know, the, the complexities of, of Chinese police bodies. But one of the things that happens a lot in, in, in Guangzhou is that there are certain raids, organized raids by the police, uh, by the security bureau, in which you get like maybe 50 or 100 uh, police officers that come into into the many hotels in the area, and they start asking for visas to everybody walking around. They mainly target uh, lonely males, but they ask to everyone. I've been asked also for my visas. Okay, so that's like a more organized kind of like raid against uh, Africans in the city. But there's this other one that is very um, complex and annoying, and to some extent very dangerous for a lot of for a lot of Africans in the city, in which you know. People that are not police and that usually are plain uh, in plain clothes. Is that, this the Changwan? Uh, some there are Changwans, some of them, but some of them are actually police that are not on duty. You know, they work together sometimes. So they walk, they go in the streets with sticks, not dressed as police, and they stop any black single male they find. And sometimes I've seen, you know, taking them into like police cars. After that, the police car indeed comes. But this is kind of a, I've, I've spoken to people that have been detained there. And this is kind of a, you know, they don't have anything to do. They are, they are out of duty. So they need to get some money, right? And some of these Chenkwans, they get 100 renminbis if they find someone without a visa, right? So this is just crazy. It's almost like a kidnap in a way, right? And this, everybody in their everyday lives in Guangzhou, the ones that have papers, they know they have to bring their passport with them all the time. And the ones that don't have it, they need to be aware all the time of what's happening. And, you know, it's horrible in, in the sense that you can get stopped by people in plain clothes, which is, you know, it feels like you're being kidnapped. Yeah, and just a little bit of a, mm. a brief backgrounder on the Chengguan. The, the Chengguan are, you know, for those of you not familiar, are these plain clothes police officers who – are, are reviled by the people, I mean, across the country. And, yeah. and they are basically, they're really nothing more than thugs. And yeah, they, they, are. they beat up, they extort, um, and they're used, in, you know, strategically often by the Public Security Bureau by, to, to, to kind of do the things that the PSB can't do itself. And, and also, yeah, yeah. to some other extent, there's a little bit of that they're out of control. And so when you see on Weibo and some of these others, this, 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 you know, this outpouring of hatred towards the authorities, a lot of it is towards the Chengguan. And, and it brings up an interesting point because you talk about the tension that, that, that there exists between, say, the police and, 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 and Africans in Chocolate City, for lack of a word, Chocolate Chung. Um, yeah. And, you know, that spilled over a couple years ago into some pretty heavy duty riots. Uh, and as a result, of, you know, coming off of the death from, a, I think, a second or third story window that some police were chasing a Nigerian man and he ran out that window and he, he eventually yeah. died, uh, yeah. you know, which highlights a lot of the tensions you talk about. And so I guess my question is, is does that define the community more in some ways than the trade and the people that are being done? Or, the, you know, is this, you know, is this a, a really a, a strong a, a characteristic of the, of the community 
that, that tension with the police and the government. You know, I wouldn't say that it defines the community, but it's always there. So it's always there. They know that police would sometimes they have contacts within police and they know that police would come and raid certain markets or certain hotels. Uh, so they're always, especially in Nigerians, but everybody senses this, they're always talking about, uh, you know, this constant harassment. Uh, now, of course, Nigerians talk more about that because the biggest number of overstayers, this is people without legal papers, uh, are amongst uh, Nigerians, right? Now, having, having painted the, the everyday life of Africans uh, in the city like this, I wouldn't like, and this is, I've been struggling not to do this all through my research, I wouldn't like to leave it there. I, I have to mention that there's a lot of people that, you know, they, they do their business, they go around the whole city, they're, they, they don't suffer through any sort of, like, problems with police, they hang out, they go to bars, they go and have dinner in this, you know, chocolate city or whatever you want to call it. And uh, so there's a lot of, there's a big sense also, especially amongst young people that are there, there's a lot of young people, either students in China, African students in China or young people just coming directly from Africa, in which there's a lot of liberty, there's a lot of freedom, they do whatever they want, they go, they dance. You know, there's also that sense of joy in, in a way, right, of, of doing whatever you can do. And a lot of other people that are not into this sort of, you know, nightly activities, they go to their churches, uh, they organize things with their own communities, Muslim people go to the, uh, uh, to the mosque. So there's also this kind of very normalized kind of everyday life happening in the city at many different layers, right? But everybody always has this thing about police just in their minds. One of the things that I, that I found incredibly interesting in, in your writing um, is that you, you point out, obviously, you know, kind of you, you focus, you know, in, in, the, in one of the papers that I read, um, you focus a lot on, on, well, on daily life, but then also, you know, on, on things like hair, for example, and food. And, and another one is the, the DVD markets. And obviously, in, in Africa, um, the prominence of, of Nigeria as a media market is becoming very, very central. Um, and Nigerian film um, kind of is flowing right through the whole of Africa. Um, and you see it all, you know, everywhere on, on, uh, on street corners in Johannesburg. So, um, and, but I was very surprised to hear that how central China is to producing these DVDs and, you know, kind of, and, and how integrated the Chinese kind of DVD production is with the Nigerian market. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Well, you define a lot of people coming from Nollywood to, to produce the, not to shoot in China. They come with their files already when they, the files that they shoot in, in Nigeria, they come to China to, to produce, to do the post-production. So this means that they come and they produce maybe 100,000 uh, um, copies of their movie and they take back these copies to, to, to Nigeria. One interesting thing is that one day I was just walking in the street around these places where there's a lot of, uh, uh, the pro- where the production of DVDs is, is big. And um, I find out that there was a very famous uh, Nollywood director and there's a lot of people gathered around him and everybody wanted to have his autograph and whatever, right? And then I spoke to the people that was doing business with him and they told me that basically, uh, you know, he, he does his films in China, uh, sorry, in Nigeria, and then he comes to this particular shop in, in, in Guangzhou and then back to, to Nigeria. So in a way, he's producing in a very transnational way his films in, in, in China, right? Now... Um, Many, many, many people, not only directors, but also people that have been sort of doing, you know, like um, 
CD compilations in CDs of different movies or different China, uh, different African dramas or different African soap operas. They've been coming to Guangzhou for the last five to six years, and they've been asking Chinese to produce thousands and thousands of copies of um, of these DVDs. So at this point, Chinese have already learned what are the mixes and what are the the different movies and soap operas that. Africans and particularly particularly Nigerians like to have in the same DVD. So they actually have huge catalogs where you can find all the possible mixtures of all African movies that you can actually just get produced in three or four days. They already have all the files that they kept from the people that was traveling from Africa. And, you know, it's it's just amazing the way in which this this trade is being um, produced in China. One other thing that is very, very interesting is um, not only what I mentioned about food, that I can talk a little bit about that, which there's the emergence of certain hybrid foods in, in, in the chocolate city, but also there's like this transnational trade of human hair. And this is very interesting because you're in this region of the city where traditionally you would, you would never find like this kind of trade. And uh, Africans have been doing a lot of Brazilian and Indian hair trade in the city. But interestingly, although they sell it as Brazilian and Indian hair, uh, this hair has been, uh, what do you call it, has been harvested or, you know, it's Chinese hair. It's just a way of calling, um, you know, if it's Brazilian or it's Indian, it's got a higher price, a better quality. So this is one of the, one of the things that they are doing. And, and actually, they get a lot of clients from uh, countries like Ang- women from Angola, from Congo, that come to China to buy what is known as Brazilian hair. Yeah, and those, that hair that actually shows up on the street in Johannesburg. Like, there are, there are um, suburbs in Johannesburg where you're not going to wear hair is one of the main economies. And yeah. you see the same, you see the, the, the Brazilian hair, Indian hair, kind of like as, <laughs> as advertised on, on signs yeah. in, in, in parts of Johannesburg as well. It's, it's really interesting. And, and you know, one of the things that struck me a lot when I was, when I first arrived to this neighborhood is that uh, there, there are some um, Chinese restaurants that have started to to change their menus and you know fixing their menus more to the African taste. And I was really, really surprised when I discovered that one of the there's a there's a pervasive presence of a fish called tilapia in in this neighborhood in in Guangzhou, and this is a Nile species, um, uh, freshwater species, and it's basically the favorite um, dish for many people around Lake Victoria. And so in a way, it's very interesting to see how Chinese restaurants have started to cook uh, this fish instead of like traditional lamian or the Uyghurs in the neighborhood. They stop uh, grilling their traditional lamb skewers and now they're only grilling fish. So, you know, the, the African the African presence in, in, in the neighborhood has, you know, has had a, such an impact that like many, many other uh, foods have been changing in, 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 the, in the neighborhood. Yeah. One of the, the, the phenomena and the trends that we've seen in the United States and in Europe when it comes to immigration <laughs> is that as the economy has slowed, uh, the pressure on immigrants has gone up considerably. And so under the Obama administration, there's been more expulsions uh, than any other administration from as far as I know in, in American history. And we're seeing a, a big crackdown in an anti-immigrant mood emerge in Europe as well. The Chinese economy is starting to slow and, and really kind of go into a different phase of its economic development. And I guess I'm wondering that since immigration is a relatively new phenomenon in, in, in China, do you expect to see maybe some similar behavior that
that people may turn on immigrants and kind of say, you know what, it's time for you to go. Things are diff- more difficult here. Uh, the economy is not what it was 10 years ago. I think it's very different because um, African migrants in China uh, are not taking the jobs of any Chinese. So they are not competing with Chinese at the level of like, you know, low paid jobs or any of these situations in which like you, you, you can see in many other countries in which like, you know, local population would start blaming uh, these foreigners. One thing that is happening as um, the Chinese economy, as you will, you, you will say, is sort of slowing down is that actually many of them have decided to move away from Guangzhou and to diversify and to go to other cities in China or to try to like go to Vietnam. They're looking at India. They're looking back again to Thailand. So there's a lot of talk about having to move away from, from Guangzhou. Uh, and this has changed a lot in the last two years. Many people that I met two years ago and that were, were totally certain that they were going to stay in China for a long time, now they're talking about you know moving back to Ghana, moving back to Nigeria, uh, you know, that things have changed or like, you know, canvassing other markets in the region. Now, so this is, I, I think that it's not the case, as I mentioned, as, as it could be in, in other countries. Well, the blog is africansinchina.net. Roberto Castillo is really one of the emerging experts in this field. There's a couple other folks who are also studying this. There's Adams Badomo at, yeah, yeah, uh, at the University of Hong Kong. Who are some other people that are in your field? Uh, there's Heidi Haugen, which um, I think she's in Oslo University in um, in Norway. Okay. And and she's doing very, very interesting research about uh, – I read some of her articles and she's done very, very interesting research about uh, Pentecostalism, the rise of Pentecostalism. We didn't talk about this today in this, in this podcast, but it's very, very important. There's a lot of Pentecostal churches and Pentecostal churches from what Heidi Haugen has – discovered are very important, not only for trade, but also for mediating the experiences of Africans uh, in the city. She's also done uh, some other research, but that's the one I remember at the moment. Uh, and there's also Chinese um, uh, researchers from Sun Yat-sen University. There's a team of researchers, which actually they are the pioneers in, in research about Africans in Guangzhou. Um, the leader of that group, his name is Li Gang. And he's from Sun Yat-sen University, and they basically published the first uh, article back in 2008 about, you know, the chocolate city or the emergence of an... They were talking about the emergence of an African enclave in, enclave in the city, which is difficult to, to, to maintain, uh, I, I, I argue. Yeah, but, you know. and it's one of these things where we really try to discourage our, our listeners from relying too much on the, on the mainstream press. In part because the way that the press covers a lot of these issues lacks the, the subtlety and the nuance that's required. And so, again, I'm going to kind of invite everybody to check out Roberto's blog because that is a, a much better way. And follow, of course, you know, links to some of the other people in this emerging field. Uh, again, Professor Adams Badomo uh, at the, from the University of Hong Kong is another one. If people want to follow what you're doing and, and some of the research that you're, you're following and what your experiences are, what's the best way that people can stay in touch with you? Well, other than reading my blog at africansinchina.net, they can also find me on Twitter and on Instagram at C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O-R-O-C-A-S, Castillo Rocas. And Cobus, what's the best way now that you're at uh, in your new position at WITS? What's the best way people to follow you? 
Well, the, the easiest way to find me is either on Twitter. I'm at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And, um, or on our Facebook page where I, you'll see my name in brackets when I respond to comments. I'm on, on I'm trying to be on there almost every day. Um, and the media studies department at Wits is gonna, is busy with a big new website. So, um, I'll let you know as soon as that's up. And fantastic. And Wits also has the China Africa reporting project. So you may want to check that out. Uh, and if you want to come on over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa project. Uh, we're a community of 112,000 people right now having great discussions every day on a lot of the topics like what Roberto's writing about and some of the, the issues that Roberto raised. China in Africa, Africa in China. It's really about the engagement between the two. Uh, so come on over to our Facebook page. If you'd like to follow our podcast, best way to do it is to go over to iTunes, press the subscribe button, leave us a comment from time to time, tell us how we're doing, good, bad, and ugly, doesn't matter. Uh, but it does help us kind of uh, raise our visibility within the Apple ecosystem. Uh, and, of course, SoundCloud is another great place, Stitcher, and on the BlackBerry Network in South Africa. So until next time, thank you so much for listening to the China in Africa podcast. Thank you.